Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fantasy Injury Team Podcast. We wish you a happy 4th of July. Tom, it is our one-year anniversary. Uh, congratulations to us, I guess. Great progress. It's been, I guess, one year since we've started. Crazy. One whole year. July 5th, which is when this will air, was our uh, our uh, day that we launched the website to the world, and the podcast came shortly after. So really exciting. We're a whole year in now. It's been a lot of progress from our, you know, sending it to my mom to listen to, to, uh, you know, now we're, we're gaining a, a pretty decent following here. Thanks to our hard work. But of course, anybody out there listening, we thank you guys so much. I mean, it's been fun, man. I've learned a lot about injuries, fantasy football. I mean, listen, we got a lot more work to do. We're, uh, we're going to be on YouTube. Now we have a social media intern, I guess, so to say, we got a lot of cool things coming up, but thank you guys. And, uh, Tom, thanks to you too, our CEO and our founder and our, uh, our our leader in all in all of these things that we've been doing but uh what else is new tom you've been doing some research some reading i see i've been doing a whole lot of research i uh, over the past couple of weeks i really dove into the medical research on what we have that can help us i don't want to use the word predict because that's not the right word but help us understand if a player is at a higher risk for a future injury um, and I'm really, really, there's a, there's a lot of info out there, but there's still a lot of holes in, in the research. So I'm really excited to share what we do know in the medical world as of now. And a super interesting article, as always, guys, you could find it over on our website, fantasyinjuryteam.com. That, that is progressing and growing every day. But Tom, this was <laughs> a lot of research. Tom, big nerd over there, big, uh, you know, our doctor of physical therapy, always hard at work, but there's I mean, like we always talk about, right? That's what we do here. We try to, I guess, not necessarily predict injury, but we're going to try to do a good job of predicting how players are going to come back from it. And then, Tom, I think this is also something that we can use throughout the year, and especially during draft season here, to try to predict, you know, can these guys who are coming off, I don't know, an ACL tear or a high ankle sprain last year, how are they going to perform? And there's so many injuries each year. It's so hard to predict. But I guess that's what we're here for, Tom. That's exactly what we're going to do. So over the next few weeks, as we lead up to the start of the season and into fantasy drafts, our episodes are going to be broken down with a handful of athletes who have either coming back from an injury or who have an injury past. And we're going to reference today's today's episode in this article to help us determine, do they have some factors that may be predisposing them to another injury or are they generally a little bit safer of options. And of course, we can't 100% predict injury. That's one of the very first things I wrote in the article, but we do have an emerging data set of factors that can predispose someone to potentially getting injured. And for all the fantasy football diehards out there like us, like this is something that you put in your back pocket and you reference while you're while you're drafting. I mean, I I'm already doing mock drafts. What is it? The 4th of July here. And I've been doing them for a month and I, I'm sitting there like, okay, I got six pick and we'll reference these guys. Like, all right, coming back, Brees Hall, hmm, age young. I mean, I don't want to spoil the episode, but we have so much good stuff to talk about. But Tom, we always thank you for your dedicated service. So let's, uh, let's hop in here. Tom, why don't you first talk about, cause the article and, and we highly suggest you read it. I mean, it's, it's really, really a great read, some good pictures, images in there. You talk a little bit in the beginning about intrinsic versus extrinsic factors, right? Can you just explain a little bit about what those are? Then I think there's modifiable, non-modifiable. Break it down for us, Tom. What do you got yeah. on that? So this is where it gets really nerdy. So bear with me here. Every single, I mean, every single research study on 
trying to figure out what may lead athletes to getting injured, may lead predisposing to injury, they all reference intrinsic and extrinsic factors. Intrinsic is something within the person themselves. So that can be things like age, prior injuries, how much they're training, et cetera, things like that. And then modifiable means it's within their control. Non-modifiable means it's not within their control. So a non-modifiable um, intrinsic factor would be age. You don't control how old you are, but a modifiable intrinsic factor would be like how much you're training in the off season, what you're eating in the off season, how much you're sleeping, things like that. Extrinsic factors are totally outside of the person themselves. So that'll be things like time of the season, what position they play. Although, I mean, I guess now you have players like Debo Samuel who are switching positions or, or <laughs> playing a couple different positions. Uh, playing surface is another big extrinsic factor there. So we'll kind of go down the list and, and talk about how some of these factors can influence injury. And, and this is by no means an all-inclusive list. The true list of things that could be factors in injury is probably infinite. But what we have here is what the most frequently discussed and researched factors in the medical research are. Okay, beautifully said. So we'll start with the intrinsic, non-modifiable. Okay, so I think we always talk about this and it's in your article. Age is a huge one. And Tom, you talk about kind of the line of demarcation being 25 years old and there's so much young talent in this draft. I already referenced Brees Hall, guys like uh, Javante Williams coming off major surgery, right? And then we have our older guys too. So talk to us about age, Tom. I know age is really, really, really key here. And, um, you know, what, what What can we really look at when we're looking at age and, and that line of demarcation that you like to talk about? Yeah, so the two by far most, most evidence for injury factors are age and prior injury. Like every single article is going to cite them first. And 25 is kind of a rough demarcation. Not every researcher agrees on that, but that's when things kind of start to change biologically and things slow down from a healing standpoint. So it, it's plausible that that is a reasonable line of demarcation. But of course, you know, we, we typically see like in the NFL, like 30 is when players start to decline physically. Uh, but from a cellular level, things start to change around age 25. So typically when it comes to healing and recovering from injury, younger than 25, much better. So we talk about Brees Hall, we've got Javante Williams, come, who's also young, coming off a major injury. Those guys have that in their advantage, whereas someone, someone much older, um, let's say, you know, Julio Jones is someone who's really dealt with a lot of injuries in, in his 30s and has had a very hard time staying on the field. Um, but even someone like Cooper Cup, who's 29, 30, coming off of a surgery, that's something to consider with him. And what happens is muscle elasticity starts to change, the ability for the muscle to generate strength and power and in an appropriate timing. So the muscle coordination, things like those start to change. And you can, I mean, training is going to slow that change dramatically. Uh, obviously, there's plenty of professional athletes in their 30s. Um, but we do see the rate of muscle injuries in, increase quite a bit with age. Now, it's interesting, ligament injuries, so ankle sprains, ACLs, et cetera, we actually see 
more of that in younger athletes. And my thought on that is because when you're younger, your joints are more mobile. As you age, there's bony changes that eventually become arthritis, but basically your bone responds to how much load it's taking on. So ankles, knees, hips, will, you'll actually build, will slowly build more and more bone over time. So that kind of holds the joint in place a little bit better. Uh, but then, I mean, eventually leads to arthritis if you live long enough. Sure. So again, at age 25, I mean, again, it's not perfect, but if you're on the earlier side of 25, we're looking for a little bit speedier recoveries. And then you mentioned even guys like Cooper Cup, Julio Jones. I mean, Keenan Allen's dealt with a whole bunch of injuries in his career. He's right around 30 years old. They could just recover a little bit quicker. Um, slower because you're older. Uh, slower, excuse me. Yeah, right. So now reference previous injury as well, Tom. I know you like to always talk about uh, Kadarius Tony and how he's always banged up and he just doesn't seem to be coming back. And who knows? I mean, we'll, we'll see how he starts this season off. But what about previous injury? Another intrinsic, non-modifiable um, factor, I guess, so to say. And you referenced it a little bit. But what else about previous injury? This one's huge, 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 possibly even more of a factor than age. I, I don't, that's just kind of my take. That's not so much in, in the research, but the, they're one and two for sure. But there, there's just a lot of research on how a future injury influences another injury, both recurrence of that injury, but also predisposing for different injuries. So let's, let's kind of go right down the list. A prior hamstring injury is going to increase the risk for another by 2.7 times. However, that amplifies to five times if it's in the same season. So Kadarius Tony, Julio Jones, Keenan Allen, not rare that they had these recurring in hamstring injuries last season. An ankle sprain. If you've had one ankle sprain, there's a 26% chance of you having another. And guess what? 40% of athletes who sprain their ankle go on to develop something called chronic ankle instability, which is just like recurring sprains over and over again. So that's not good. And part of the reason there is as these ligaments get injured, like their job is to passively hold the joint together. So they, they just, they just kind of hold things together as they get injured. They lose that strength, that stability factor. So now the joint is more mobile. We call it lax. So it has more of an ability to go into the positions that would cause more of a sprain. Gro groin injuries, 29% chance of a re-injury in the same season. Calf injuries, when it's been eight weeks since the initial injury, much higher rate of re-injury. Shoulder dislocations, very high recurrence rate. We saw that with Dalvin Cook over the past few seasons, who finally had his, his um, surgery for that. We saw that with Baker Mayfield a few years ago. So, again, I kind of already explained with the ligaments why we see this. And then as far as the muscles go, it takes a long time to regain the strength when a muscle has been injured, like several weeks. And most of these athletes are getting back on the field as fast as possible. So there's a strength imbalance. The injured muscle has not fully healed. So that either leaves it at a higher risk to be re-injured itself or leads to compensation somewhere else in the body where other muscles are overworking, other joints are overworking to compensate for the weaker healing muscle. So that kind of going into how a previous injury could influence a different injury. In movement science, we have a term called regional interdependence. So that talks about how 
motion and function at one body region influences another. So this is where I'm always talking about previous ankle injuries and how they are a factor for other injuries up the body. And that's been shown in the research that ankle, stiff ankles can influence ACL injuries, other knee injuries, hip injuries, et cetera. But outside of that, when returning from an ACL injury, athlete has a 70% increased risk for a hamstring injury. We saw that week one last year with Chris Godwin. A calf injury, 50% higher risk for a hamstring injury. It's, it's, and it goes on and on. The list goes on and on. And, and that's just what's in the research. An anecdotally, I see this every single day in, in my clinical practice where someone had an injury in the foot, the big toe, the knee, whatever. A few years later, they have this mysterious onset of hip pain, back pain, whatever. And I can directly link it to a stiffness or a weakness somewhere lower in the leg. So because, because of this, it's super important to know what player's injury history is. And that's some information that we'll be providing over these next few weeks on both our podcast or website on Twitter. And then there's also really great resources like Draft Sharks and Player Profiler who have these lists of players' injuries. Like Draft Sharks is amazing. You type in whatever the player's name is, Draft Sharks injury on Google, and boom, there's a list of every injury they've ever had. Going back I've to seen it and, and it like points to the injury. It is like a little thing that comes out and like some players have like 14 of them, the knee, the ankle, the arm, like Julio Jones's page is like insanely, uh, insanely full, but dissertation. It's unbelievable. You mentioned Chris Godwin. We talked so much about him last year and you nailed it last year. You talked so much about he's being rushed back. Remember his recovery timetable was unbelievable. They got him back on the field. Like, so it was unbelievable how fast it was. And you warned everybody preseason, like, guys, <laughs> might not be a good idea to draft him this early, uh, you know, early because we think he's being rushed back. But let me ask you a question before we go into the next category, Tom. And it's super broad, and it's just something that is always brought up in football and in the fantasy football world, too. Does injury prone exist? I know it's such a big question, but – that's just something that I think our listeners want to hear too, because they're worried about drafting guys that they've seen. Okay. They burned me this year. They burned, you know, CMC in the past. People didn't want to draft him last year. He was injury prone, right? Even this year, I see guys like Keenan Allen flying up draft boards in such a prolific offense. Justin Herbert, 30 years old. We've seen, I mean, last year he was kind of healthy, but what do you, you know, just briefly about that question, injury prone. What do you think? It's, it's obviously a gray area. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, I think what we need to do is is look for patterns in the player's injuries. So Keenan Allen, he's had a number of hamstring injuries. Those are likely fed by the prior hamstring injuries. So he is someone that I would be a little more concerned with. Christian McCaffrey, all his injuries were different. And a lot of them were just like freak injuries that would have happened to anybody, not necessarily because of any kind of mechanical flaw in his running gait or anything like that. But two of them were pretty significant ankle injuries, which we know have the potential to lead to future injuries. So I would say he's at a moderately elevated risk, but any running back that's in their, their mid to late 20s is going to be pretty much the same <laughs> risk as McCaffrey. So does injury prone exist? I, I, I think so, but I don't think it's that black and white. I think there's a lot that goes into that and and some of which is modifiable like we're about to talk about 
So these players can identify that they have this factor that can predispose them to injury. Well, can I do something about it in the offseason when I'm training? If my ankle is, if my right ankle has had multiple injuries in the past and it's significantly stiffer now than the left, maybe I spend a whole lot more time working on ankle mobility than I typically would. So that's a long way of saying I think the answer is yes, but it's not a definite yes. Such a broad question there, Tom. You could write a whole thesis on that for us as your next article. (laughs) Maybe I will. All right. Let's move on to our next category, I guess, so to say. So, Tom, you want to just remind everybody, so this is intrinsic modifiable now. What is that again? Intrinsic modifiable now. So intrinsic is within the person themselves. Modifiable means you can make a lifestyle change to to address it to some degree. Sure. Okay. So it looks like we have five of these. I'm sure we'll go a little bit quicker through these. Not as big, but certainly still important. So talk a little bit about training load, level of conditioning, fatigue. I mean, of course, as athletes fatigue, uh, I even think myself, mechanics change the way you might be landing changes. You reference in your article, Sterling Shepard, but talk a little bit about that training load, conditioning, fatigue, how that can possibly factor into injury or future injury. Right. So these are, I mean, they're three separate things. I clumped them all together, though. Um, Basically, so much of being an an elite athlete comes down to this. Like, how are you training in the offseason? What kind of shape are you in when you come to training camp? And just overall fatigue, that's both from a sleep standpoint, but also just like the end of practice or the end of game type of fatigue. So there's tons of research on appropriate training loads, macro, micro cycling in the off season leading up to the season. That's outside of the the scope of of this discussion because we're not going to know how these athletes are training, like what their whole training program is. So what I really want to focus on here is, is starting with the fatigue standpoint and then discussing how when a player is coming back from injury, that's going to impact their training load and level of condition. So let's start with fatigue. I actually did my master's thesis on, on something related to here. But what we know is as a, an athlete fatigues, whether that be cardiovascularly or just muscular fatigue, their mechanics change. They become slightly less controlled, so they'll land stiffer usually, meaning like less knee bend, less hip bend, less ankle bend. And there's a lot more knee wobble moving inside and outside, which can predispose than to, to different types of knee injuries. And there's all, all other types of mechanical changes that happen. Those are some of the big ones though. But basically they lead to more loading in the lower extremity and less stability, less control of where the, the foot lands, the, the legs position, the body center of gravity over or over its base of support with landing that can lead to increased forces through the knee, hip, whatever, that can predispose them to a non-contact type of injury. So this is seen at the end of games often, or just when someone's really fatigued. Sterling Shepard's a great example last year, I believe. So he was coming off of that Achilles injury that was in like December of the 21 season. And in week three last year, so we're talking only in like 10 months after his Achilles injury, there's no way that injured leg was as conditioned as the uninjured leg at that point. Like that is such a hard injury to come back from. And that we saw the very last play of the game. He's just running a go down the field. Nobody's defending him and he tears his ACL. That's a fatigue induced injury. His, it was the very last play of the game. He's not in a hundred percent condition because of the, the prior injury the year before. 
Nobody hit him. He wasn't cutting. His knee just gave out because of mechanical changes from fatigue. So when we think about this, when we have a player who maybe they had an ankle sprain and were out for four weeks and now they're coming back, it's very plausible to believe that they're not going to be as conditioned as they were four weeks prior before they had that injury. So from a team standpoint, that's why you'll often see them reduce the player's snap count in these first few games back, which from a fantasy manager standpoint, we need to understand that that may be happening. Now, if it's an elite player, they're still probably going to get enough volume to be productive. But if they're kind of a fringe, like a, a running back by committee type, a wide receiver three in the offense, that reduced snap count could be really impactful on, on if they're able to help your team that week or not. The other thing is maybe the team doesn't put them on a snap count. Well, now they're at a much higher risk for re-injury, not only because that muscle or whatever injury probably is not fully healed, but they're much less conditioned than they were before. So when we talk about training load, level of conditioning, fatigue, a lot of times it comes down to these changes that occur mechanically as the player fatigues during the game. Super interesting to understand the why, of course. That's why we're here. Why is this player seeing a 50% reduction in snap count today? What's the reason for it? And that's basically what you said is fatigue and, and risk of re-injury. Okay. Next one is motor control deficiencies. I don't even really have an intro for this, Tom, because I'm not really sure what it is. And that is what you're here for. Motor control deficiencies. What is that? So, Joe, you're a coach, right? Yes. Tell us what you coach. I coach varsity softball and freshman boys basketball. So let's take, I know basketball better. Let's take that, for example, especially since you're a freshman coach. They're still learning how to shoot a basketball with proper form, right? Love the kids so dearly, but they're all coming into their bodies and they're like, uh, they look like a bunch of baby giraffes that have just been let out into the wild, just shaking and flapping and, and just, they're, they're, they don't know how, like how their arms work yet fully. Is that what we're referencing here? <laughs> I love that you said that. That is okay. motor control. Your ability okay. to court with, with proper coordination, control what your limbs are doing in, in our case here in an athletic manner, but it could also be like playing a guitar or, or whatever. Sure. So. I mean, these are all elite athletes. They've got really, really great motor control, but this is something that gets impacted when you're returning from an injury, whether it's because you're, there's a muscular imbalance, you're not as strong in a particular region as you were before, or what we'll see a lot is players coming off surgery. If they don't fully regain motion, which we're going to talk about next, that's going to change the motor control everywhere else in the body. Now, this is something that we're not going to know outside of the videos that sometimes get posted. So that's why it's important to, to follow people who have an eye for this, which would be physical therapists, physicians, athletic trainers, et cetera, on social media, because we can point this stuff out. We can point out when we see something that we don't like from a practice video or a training video that can, can help kind of give us information into how someone's playing. So I remember last season, I don't remember what week it was, but there's a video of Kadarius Tony running around in the end zone. And I was like, oh, that does not look good at all. And sure enough, he ended up several more injuries that season. Now, just to jump in here, for you listeners, I, I couldn't stress this more. And I learned this through you, Tom. You have to be careful where you're getting your information from. Because maybe a blind eye or less educated eye, even like myself, just a fantasy football fan or football fan, you might see him run around and he goes up and jumps and catches the ball or scores a touchdown preseason. Like 
but we're not looking for those little you know movements, those motor control deficiencies. So Tom, you'd be a great person to follow. Listen, there's plenty of people to follow like that, but Tom would be great. Um, but you got to be careful because all these videos come out, right? And like people dissect them so much. And just because they caught the ball in the end zone, oh, they're going to have a huge season. Like you got to be careful, but you know, you got to, you got to use the trained eye like yourself. Absolutely. Okay. So next one is range of motion. And, you know, I'm learning this a lot and, and without regaining full motion, right, there's going to be some sort of compensation. And last year this happened, I think JK Dobbins is now 24 years old or so. Um, he had to get what he had to get cleaned up again, right? Because he never regained his full motion. I'll let you talk about it, but how does range of motion factor in? Yeah. So it's, it's pivotal for, especially when you're returning from a surgery, something major like that. So Dobbins was, he didn't have the knee flexion or your your ability for the knee to bend as well as we would like it to. So if you think when he's running, when he's cutting, et cetera, his body is not going through the full range of motion or it's, it's hesitant to, which is going to create either some pain, which could slow things down or just a little bit of hesitancy with cutting, sprinting, et cetera. So he had to go in and have a, a scope to clean out some scar tissue to fully regain the motion. They probably did a manipulation under anesthesia too. Uh, so that's what we want to monitor. Again, going back to some of these training videos, super important to be monitoring what all the, the local beat reporters are saying. And by the way, the, um, the Twitter account, the 32 Beat Writers now have a podcast where they are interviewing beat reporters every week. It's phenomenal follow. Definitely recommend listening to that. Um, but basically, when these players are coming back from surgery, we want to know, are they hitting all these post-op milestones? And the beat reporters and the training videos are the best way to know that. And again, that's going to take a trained eye like myself and some of the other uh, injury professionals to point out when something's going wrong. We definitely saw signs last year with J.K. Dobbins that he didn't have something wasn't going right. And then later we learned that it was a range of motion deficiency. But for this season, we've got guys like Javante Williams coming back for a major injury. It's going to be one that I'm closely monitoring. So far, things look good, but we're going to keep closely monitoring him. And then we haven't heard a whole lot about Cooper Cup, Tony Pollard, who had you know, fairly routine, fairly simple ankle surgeries, but it's still surgery. And Cup especially is 29, 30 years old, so there's some of that age concern there. Pollard's a little bit younger, but he's stepping into the RB1 role. And Joe, you and I both love him as a player, and I'm going to be really closely monitoring what, what's happening in Dallas with Pollard going into camp to – make make me confident picking him in either the late first or early second round. As of now, everything sounds good, but definitely those are some guys that we need to keep our eye on. And, and there's plenty more that we'll talk about in coming episodes. My ear is going to be glued to every word you say about Tony Pollard and a lot of these other guys, man, but we do love Pollard and, and we'll see kind of what happens and how he progresses here. But yeah, trained eye is certainly very important. All right, we got two more in this category. Next one is something I love, sleep. Okay, psychological state and sleep. I guess this has to do with alertness, your focus. You even talked in the article about coaching philosophy and disagreeing with that. Why don't you talk about these factors, Tom? Well, I want to start by saying this is my first day of a seven-day vacation not working and turning off my alarms. How good did that feel? Oh it's my the goodness. absolute best, it's man. Best. You've it's got, so what, like seven more weeks of, of not working? 
Uh, I am a teacher. We go back in uh, early September, so I'm good for about another two months here. It's the oh best. I mean, Avery, now that if you don't know, I have a 10-month-old. She's my alarm, and she doesn't sleep past 7, but even seven's good. I'll take that as opposed to 5 o'clock waking up for school. But, yeah, oh, sleep is kind of value sleep the older I get here, 31 years old. <laughs> it's the it's best. Fabulous. <laughs> fabulous. Yes, yeah, so psychological state and sleep. I put these together because we as fans will have no idea what are what these players situation is here but these two are so routinely cited in the medical literature as factors that can predispose a player to injury from a sleep standpoint it's what we talked about before with fatigue there's just general body fatigue as well for when you're not sleeping properly and that's going to contribute to muscular and cardiovascular fatigue but also in a, me a mental alertness and sharpness so football, you got to be on at all times. If there is any lag cognitively, that's when injuries occur. That's when you, you miss a step and you get run over by the linebacker that you should have known was coming or whatever, whatever the situation is. Sure. Uh, from a psychological state standpoint, the the research I read, just it cited this. It did not dive super deep into it. I'm sure that there's a lot of sports psychologists who, who could go on for days about this. And it's super, super important. But yeah, some of the big things that that popped out in the research was disagreeing with the coach, uh, just general relationship stresses, and and whatever. It it just it takes its toll on the body as a whole that uh, can can I guess indirectly but directly influence injuries. Got it. And last one in this category is BMI. Tom, what is BMI? BMI, body mass index. So generally looking at someone's size as a whole. I don't really care for this one because these guys are all enormous. But <laughs> it, it does cite that a BMI over 29 will put them at a higher risk for an ankle injury, which makes sense. More weight on a fairly small joint. But again, these guys are all huge. So pretty much all of them are going to have pretty high BMIs. And it's because they're muscular. It's not because they're fat. Right. So I'm not super concerned with this one. Just massive individuals. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay. We have four factors left. So now, Tom, we're going to jump over to extrinsic. Why don't you talk about what extrinsic is first? So again, you mentioned it, but outside of the person's self or their control in any way. Okay. And then once again, non-modifiable is what? It's it's not changing. Okay. There's so we nothing have things you can do to change it. Okay. So we have two here that are extrinsic, non-modifiable. Tom, the sport that you play, and I guess the position you play, are you trying to couple that in here as well, the position that they play? Yeah, and, and again, as, as we said on the top of the show, there's a handful of players who are kind of switching positions, but generally the position that you enter the league in is, is what you're going to play. Right, and running backs seem to have the highest rate of injury, right, or at least by by a good margin and then wide receivers are kind of in that mix as well do you want to talk about this at all well i mean it just makes sense running backs touch the ball the most and get hit by far the most so they're definitely at the, at the highest risk for injury and then receivers also get hit and often in an undefended position and they just run so much so a lot of these soft tissue injuries occur from just like stress from repetitive running etc especially towards the end of the game when they're fatiguing and some of the mechanics are maybe breaking down a little bit. Okay. So you mentioned fatigue, like a lot of these do kind of work in with each other and a lot of them are kind of co-mingled, I guess, so to say. Okay. Absolutely. And, and then one more here is time of season. So we do see a lot. I mean, it's, it's 
totally made sense when I read the article. A lot of injuries do happen in the preseason. And then you also talked a little bit about a couple of years ago, what happened during the COVID when they canceled the COVID pandemic, when they canceled the preseason. So time of season, how does that factor into injury and, and all those different factors? Earlier season players are less conditioned. Injuries are going to occur more. And a lot of these guys do train very, very, very hard in the off season. It's just not the same as with the pads on hitting each other. There's no way to replicate that other than to just do it. So we do see higher rates of injury in the preseason and, and then the first couple weeks of the season for that reason. Interestingly, during the COVID year, when there was no preseason games, the injury rates in the first four weeks spiked significantly. And they found the same thing in 2011 during the lockout year significant spike in injuries in those first couple weeks and it's it's predominantly due to just conditioning and not being in football shape i'm sure there's also some um just from like a game plan and being as a team on the same page when you're running every play and everything i'm sure that may be a factor as well if they're not quite as in sync with each other in those first couple weeks beautifully said okay so now on to our last two. These are both extrinsic and modifiable now. Um, always talk in the NFL and on injury, where, everywhere you talk about and, and see playing surface. And your article says that studies show no difference really in, in injury percentages between grass and turf. But we do know that players really strongly prefer to play on the grass and player confidence and all that stuff. But what, what about playing surface as a factor here? So that was just one study that the NFL put out. And the NFL PA a month or two ago put out a statement. They were like, what the hell was that? That was bullshit. So the NFL PA was saying that the NFL cherry picked the stats from the 2021 season only, which was an outlier season in which injury rates on turf and grass were pretty similar. Whereas the several seasons prior, the injury rates on turf were actually quite a bit higher. So the NFLPA was not happy that the NFL put that data that they think was false data out. Um, and we'll see what happens there. But it makes sense that turf would lead to more injuries because underneath turf is, I don't know what it is, but it's like rubber or something that does not give. Underneath grass is mud or dirt, which has the capacity to slide as a player's cleat gets stuck in it. So it makes sense that some of these non-contact injuries would be higher in turf where there's no give as a player's cleat is getting stuck, whereas on grass, it does give. Totally makes sense. And our final one, you're going to have to explain this, an inciting event associated with the NFL. Go ahead, Tom. Okay, so this is, this is separate from intrinsic and extrinsic stuff. This is its own category, okay. um, and it's, it's just an inciting event. All that means is the event when the injury happened. So to create an example, you could have a 34-year-old who has not trained at all in the offseason, has an extensive injury history, and is playing on turf. But until the play happens where the injury happens, like they could walk around that turf all day long. They're not going to get injured. But if they get hit or if they make a cut, that is that leads to injury. That's the inciting event. So basically what it's saying is that they could have all these factors or they could have none of these factors, but the event of the injury has to happen, which is pretty obvious. 
All right. All that in about 30 minutes, Tom. That was freaking awesome. So thank you so much. Anything, uh, any closing remarks, Tom? What are you doing today? Anything fun? Uh, yeah, just going to get with some buddies to do uh, some 4th of July stuff. And then I'm off to Canada, eh? Right. Chose Canada over the islands. I remember you were, you were trying to figure out which one you wanted to go with. But I like that. 4th of July stuff. <laughs> All right. And for all you guys out there, again, thank you guys for joining us. And Tom, seriously, thank you, man. I mean, guys, Tom works so hard. He loves it. He's obsessed with this stuff. And listen, this is what we do, man. It's so early right now. It's July 4th. We have so many amazing articles, content, um, podcasts coming out. Make sure you guys give us a follow. Uh, But Tom, seriously, thank you. You work so hard. You're the best. To everybody else out there, happy 4th of July, guys. Tom, to us, happy happy one-year anniversary. Happy one year. We'll have some adult beverages today to celebrate that. But for, for you guys out there, we really look forward to providing you with, with the best information, right? I mean, this is what we do. We're here to try to give you an edge in every single way in fantasy football and just great to have all this knowledge. So that's it for us. Tom, thank you again. And we'll see you guys next time on the Fantasy Injury Team Podcast.